What's going on, everybody? Glenn P. Brooks Jr. here. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I'm a coach. And I want to welcome you to We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. I get the opportunity to add value to entrepreneurs, business owners, and ministry leaders, both on and offline. And this episode is going to be no different. Stick around, and we're going to get started right now. Well, it's good to have everybody back again for We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. I'm Glenn P. Brooks Jr., and I'm really excited about this one. Now, I know I always say that this is going to be a good one, but y'all, this is really going to be a good one. In a blog post on HuffPost.com a while back, contributing writer Flynn Coleman asked this question. He said, why are stories so powerful? Well, the truth of the matter is that they are more memorable than facts. Our brains are actually wired to respond to stories. Metaphors and anecdotes actually help us relate ideas to our own experiences, providing richness and texture, right? Stories actually bring you and your listeners into a multidimensional world full of colors, sights, smells, and emotions, making us feel as though we were actually living the story. And that's one of the reasons why we created this episode on We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast, because I honestly believe, y'all, that when you see amazing brands, when you see amazing products and services, there's often a story behind it. It didn't just come up out of anywhere. And when you're really, really good at it, you can use that story to actually market said brand and products and services. And today we're going to talk about the story behind the brand of Patricia Palmore. Uh, She is my biological mother, and uh, I'm excited for this opportunity. Mom, it is so good to have you on the podcast this week. How are you? Great. So good to be here. Listen, so I really want to unpack some things, and obviously I know so many parts of your story for obvious reasons, but there are some ones that um, you've shared over the years and things that I really want you to connect with, Mom. And really what I'm trying to get... As I look at how you show up today, as an author, um, you're an editor, you are, you've always been a wordsmith, you're a speaker, uh, you're a ministry leader, um, uh, and, and, and I know for a fact that there are some things that has happened and taken place in your past that if you look back on it, you could honestly say, yep, that informed this. I went through that, and as a result of that, I am now doing this. I think about granddaddy. And I think about some of the things and and remembering times when I walked into the house and you couldn't find stuff because books were everywhere. Um, I didn't know what a Renaissance man was back in those days. Right. But he was a painter and 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 a preacher. And uh, and and he did all the things. And and I could even see now it's funny because when I think about sort of the entrepreneurial things that you you do and and you lent yourself to like that came from him in a lot of ways, and I can see the connection. Can you walk us through, talk a little bit about how you grew up and um, maybe your birth order a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about, and I'm going to walk you up to today, and we're going to talk a little bit about how that's informing the work that you're doing today. Let's go. So happy to do that, Glenn. Um, Glenn sounds kind of funny coming out of my mouth because you got that special little name that I like to call you, but I'm going to be formal this morning and and, uh, flow with that. First of all, I love being in this room. I get inspired in this room. And um, every person is so different uh, that it pulls out different things in me. So thank you, Glenn, for telling me about this room and for inviting me to 
hang in there and stay in this room. So because of that, um, I want to say that my life was not one that I thought was remarkable or um, any of that. Um, I was the I guess I wasn't really the middle child. I, I was what they call in the South, the knee baby. Um, there were five of us children and uh, I always um, was kind of like linked to the hip with my younger sister, the youngest, Radiance. And my father had this flair for, you know, unusual names. Of course, you know, Aunt Frenny's real name is Frenesy and people never got that right. It was always fricassee or, you know, something else because it was hard to remember. But Radiance was is truly radiant even today. But uh, my oldest sister, Frenesy, was the, the uh, slave driver in a nice way. But, you know, she had her mission and she was going to accomplish it. So she had her uh, orders and my parents expected her to keep the order uh, in the home when they were at work. So anyway, uh, we had a shy sister. That's my sister, Barbara Ann. And uh, she and I were kind of close to each other, right next to each other. But um, with all of us, we were all different and all of that. And um, the reins were kept pretty tight. As a matter of fact, your father just told me the other day when we were having lunch that he was telling Candace because she was with us. And uh, she's, he said, oh, yeah, uh, your grandfather always kept his girls in tow because there were four of them. So he he thought I was a safe, safe, uh, you know, encounter because he always knew where I'd be and he always knew I was going to be in the house and he always knew I was going to be looked for. And so he felt like that was a good risk for him. But growing up in a ghetto in Baltimore, it was one that I'm told they set up for World War II veterans, so they'd have housing. And it was this beautiful place at one time. So uh, when we grew up there, um, you know, we kind of just went with the flow. So I have two sides of me. I have a, a side that always wanted to be polished. And um, I think that came from my mother. Um, but there's also a ghetto side that, um, that my sister Ray tells me, well, even when you preach and you're in the pulpit, um, I know the Holy Ghost kicked in when I see Cherry Hill come out, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that is part of me. I do believe in shooting from the hip and that kind of thing. But I wasn't always that way. I was timid. Uh, I was fearful, um, afraid to take risks. And it was all because I would uh, I was afraid that I would fail. And uh, I've this many years later found that the failing is part of life. But, you know, that's how it goes. Uh, I love it when I hear you guys say fail forward uh, so that we're further along, you know, than we were when we first failed. Uh, and let's not fail at that same thing again. But um, pretty much that's how we got started. Uh, I was always blessed to be able to say on the first day of school when we used to fill out those little registration cards so that you give information about your family. I was always blessed to say my mother and my father had the same address. And for me, that was like a special thing because a lot of the kids in our community could not say that. So I'll just pause there and let you direct me where you want me to go. Are you on mute, coach? 
so listen, so yeah, I'm doing all the things in the background, and you 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 threw me a. A, 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 the, the baton before I was, I was ready to, to pick it up. No worries, no worries, no worries. One of the things that I think I really want you to bring out, Mom, is that idea of failure. Um, you know, I am going somewhere here with this interview, and I'm really wanting to, you know, get to some things that have been on your heart for years in terms of the process of change. I think that failure is so integral when it comes to change that most people overlook it. Uh, most of us are not built to embrace failure. We don't even look at it. As a matter of fact, parents don't teach their children how to fail. They teach their children how to succeed. But here's what we all know is that failure is actually a bigger part of our life than success. And so if we ever learned how to fail, I think, quite frankly, we'd have much more success because of the lessons learned. So as you grew up and you obviously was um, your own your own person, like even in the middle of five kids, uh, you know, um, I, I always looked at you as just different than the other four. Um, the way you walk, the way you move, the way you expressed yourself. Music was a huge part of y'all's life, a huge part of y'all's life. And I know it was chock full of its ups and downs and highs and lows and, and dreams realized and dreams not. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about the journey of a musician and how that has begun to inform kind of how you show up today? Maybe some of those so some of those changes, some of those failures that turned into some successes. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, awesome. I um, Yeah, there are two ways I, I look at that. Uh, I can look at them from today, looking backwards in review. And then I can talk from a perspective of having looked forward, uh, you know, into the clouds and not really seeing what was embedded in those clouds and you know, our dreams were up in the clouds. There were three of us, uh, Ray, Barbara Ann, and myself, and we sang a cappella, you know, in the kitchen. And, and my father was a musician. He played and sang. And I mean, like you said, among other things. But part of our lives um, involved music all the time. And he was the one that pulled music out of us. We didn't know that we could hold a tune. I'll put it that way. Um, and when he realized it, he stood us up and said, all right, sing this. And then he said, Ray, you sing the melody. Pat, you sing the alto. Barbara Ann, you sing the high tenor. And I guess maybe because our vocal cords were similar because we're, you know, we're kin. But the, the harmony was always tight, not as a, a brag thing, but just, you know, it, we, we could just, and the ear was there, but we never knew that. It took a parent um, that was on it, that realized, wait a minute, this is something that needs to be cultivated. So yeah, I was different. Um, I was the only, I was shorter than everybody else. I was the same color as everybody else. I looked like my dad. Um, and I mentioned that in the book a little bit about the funny thing about that with my mother, but I won't go into that now. And so, but I was blessed in a way because we wore hand-me-downs and so they were never able to hand their stuff down to me 
because I didn't wear the same shoe size. You know, my body was shaped different. They were kind of long and lanky and tall and I I was short. And so it was a blessing in a way. So um, we, but we flowed in that environment. And I remember the day after I grew up that my mother said um, about our singing. And she said, you know, I always prayed that you guys would fail. And of course, after we spent money, you know, I got a few CDs and stuff behind me where, you know, I tr- we tried to put things in motion, you know, and that kind of thing a couple of times. And, and we spent money for that. And I thought, no, you didn't. And she said, oh, yes, I did. She said, because I see people like Michael, Michael Jackson and some of those other people. Of course, she's older than me. Um, so she's seen a, a bunch of people go at it, try to fail, try to what they call succeed, but they failed. And so, but this day, I thank my mother because once we got out there, you know, in the uh, independent music industry and, you know, you're looking at the contracts with the mainstream uh, music industry and that whole thing, I'm not going to cast a pall over it, but one of the things that I encourage young singers now is that, no, you don't want that, honey, not right now. You're not ready for that scene, for that arena. What you need to do is get embedded in the word. You need to know who you are. You need to know not just your truth, but you need to know God's truth, because really God's truth is your truth, whether you know that or not. So you need to cultivate that. Um, You need to move forward, you know, being bold and knowing who you are, not being afraid to hold on to your morals and your guidelines and your principles and all that, because as we can see, all of us, it destroys so many people. Um, how far? Off? No, no. I, let me, let me, I want you to stay right there because I think that, and this is exactly where I'm going. So for those of you guys who are just tuning in, this is, uh, the, we all need some help Wednesday, the podcast. And, and I'm talking to my biological mother and I'm saying that on purpose because, you know, people use that term these days, uh, kind of loosely to some degree, you know, it's spiritual mothers and play mother and, you know, my, my, my bonus mom and, and those kinds of things. But no, one of the things that I got a unique privilege of watching is how you moved and you always march to the beat of your own drum and it seemed to empower you um, as you got older I don't know if you were aware uh, but we really paid attention that you were different and that you and, and today I would call that a standard today I would call that even in your mistakes you always portrayed a standard um, even um, when I think about you know some of the things that I've done, I can tell you they've been shaped by your standards. So when you say things like, you know, grandma wanted you to fail in this regard because she didn't think you were ready. One of the things I'm hearing is that people no longer uh, focus on building the capacity to hold the thing that they're trying to do. And they lose themselves and they or they never find themselves and their true identities as God sort of had laid out for them. When you talk about that, can you talk to us a little bit about how once you begin to actually put the dots together, it's like, wait a minute, I was created this way for this thing. How did that empowerment, how did that light bulb moment, if you will, sort of shape things or change things for you? Well, the light bulb moment came when we decided we wanted to uh, produce uh, a, a compact disc, a CD. And so some of the rigors of going through that, especially when you don't know what you're doing, (laughs) 
and it's your first time doing it, we found a lot out about who we were. Um, I even found a lot of, uh, about, found out a lot about myself, uh, how I was different. We were so similar, our sisters and, and me, but I found out that I was detailed. I was, you know, I was the one that would, um, when it was time to go in the studio, I would spend the night before just typing up all the lyrics of the songs that we had written uh, uh, large enough so that when they were sitting on that, you know, stand in front of us, that everybody could see that when they stood a certain distance from it and all this kind of thing. And we were all different. So not everybody you know, uh, was strong in the same things. But I've always been a, a, a bean counter, uh, a detail-oriented person. I have blinders on. If you give me something to do, I'm going to do that one thing for you, and I'm going to do that well. Um, that reminds me of when I um, I found out that I could follow directions on on a um, a guide sheet for a pattern. And I found out that when I followed those directions – my garment would actually look like the one on the front, just like they said. And so I, I abandoned kind of doing my own thing and being safe. And I think I can get this together because I don't understand what's on the page. And so I threw myself into that. I was scared to do it because I thought I'd mess up. But the once I saw that it, it netted me, you know, a dividend, uh, then I just kept using that same philosophy, even when... Um, my first marriage didn't work out to your dad and all of this. And I just knew one thing. I thought these kids, you know, came out of me, uh, pardon, you know, the, the way that sounds, but, and they're mine and we're going to make it and we're going to do it without him, without, you know, no disrespect to him. You know, we love one another today in a brother, sister kind of way, but, it's like, we got to do this thing. This thing, I didn't know it was called life, but I knew I couldn't fail. I knew I had to make it work. And I think maybe you remember, Glenn, the time when uh, your dad would get you guys for a weekend or something and you come back. And then there was a time when you thought you were going to play both of us, you know, in the middle, going from one to the other. And uh, I sat you down, both of you, or stood you up and said, you know what? You're not going to run from me to him, from me to him, from me to him. What you're going to do is you're going to graduate from high school and you're going to do some things that that, that are going to prepare you to move forward. And, and the bottom part, the other part I didn't say to you was and get up out of here because uh, you guys were a challenge. And for a, a child that was a knee baby, you know, it was a big challenge for me. I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew we had to succeed. Listen. Listen, you turning the corners for me without me steering this ship. Listen, I, I need y'all to hear this because um, for you, my failure wasn't an option. And even in the midst of the fear of building, um, growing, um, I wrote down creativity actually has rules. I remember watching you one time go into a department store. We were little and I remember it may have been Easter time of the year or some special occasion, and you had spent money on us but didn't have any money left over for you. 
And I remember you took the creativity that you had and you took a dress. It was a coat dress. I will never forget it because I remember after you made it, me understanding that there are dresses that looks like coat, look like coats and they call them coat dresses. Like, so I remember that vividly. You picked that dress up off of the rack. You went into the dressing room and you sketched that garment front, back, inside, out. You measured it. And I remember you coming out with a looks like, you know, it's a notepad and you put the dress back and we left the store and we went home. And I remember you taking back in the day, you know, they didn't have plastic shopping bags like they do now. Um, everything was paper bags, big, giant brown paper bags. And you took that big, 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 giant brown paper bag and you cut that bad boy and you flattened it out and you you made several of them and you kept flattening them out and making them bigger and bigger. And then I remember you translating those measurements and those of uh, those pictures, those sketches that you had onto that brown paper bag and you made a pattern. And I will never forget you taking that brown paper bag with a pattern. And again, I'm talking about how creativity has rules. Creativity actually has boundaries. It is not as ominous. It's not as uh, free-flowing as one thinks because in order to produce something, you got to have a rule. You got to have something, a guide to go by. And that was your pattern. And you made that coat dress and it looked just like the one that I saw in the department store. I share that story about you because that's where I saw for you failure wasn't an option. When we think about the mindset that comes around failure and how it generally cripples us, for you, you seem to have turned that into opportunity. On every hand, that's just one story. I got a million of them. Like I could tell these stories over and over again because they stuck in me in ways that you that I use quite frankly to this day. And and but but can you speak to the mindset that you had, and I don't even know if you were aware of it then, but how does one nurture that? How do you get that? I'm coming to the book because this could be a three-part interview easily just because of all of what I know about you and what I'd like you to be able to get across. But if we could stick there for a moment, talk to us a little bit about that mindset, that failure. When did it uh, switch for you and how have you garnered the, the power of that and, and actually you know, sort of turned it into a positive? Come on, talk to me. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up, Glenn, because you know what? I don't remember that incident. And I think the reason I don't remember it is because it's kind of who I am. Uh, Grandma Essie's like that. Granny, her mother was like that. They, I guess this sounds kind of powerful, but I didn't know it was powerful. When I see a thing, I see the possibilities. I see the end result. I see the vision of what it looks like when it's all done. And I didn't realize that that was a thing. I didn't realize it then. I still don't realize it now. Sometimes my self-talk will, you know, especially inside my head talk, will go in the other direction. Ah, you can't, ah, you'll never do, you know, and all of that. And yet when I look at a, a problem, God begins to show me a way or several ways to get at that same end without, boy, this is mind blowing for me. Because, you know, here I was thinking one way and I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. This is a triumphant kind of moment because I do that no matter what I approach, except for breaking my phone last night. But anyway, I know I'm not mechanical. 
I know that's not my thing. And people can explain to me how easy it is and all that, but you want to mess me up and really get me to sin, start messing with my stuff after it's set up in an area that I know I'm not strong in. But getting back to um, what you said, yeah, I could be outside in the yard and I don't have the right tool because daddy used to always say you can do anything if you got the right tool. And of course we know, and the expertise too goes with that, but I can, he shows me a way to make a tool or to fashion something or, you know, and that's, it's just, I guess it's a creative part of me. I don't see. So when I make wedding dresses, I want to make the bride's gown. I don't want to make 10,000 of how many ever bridesmaids they got because it's too redundant. It's boring. I like for the creativity to be happening all the time. That is what excites me and gets me worked up. And, you know, that's where my adrenaline flows. And so, but when you were talking about seeing the solutions, I now see that just because I'm a solopreneur, oh, I don't know whether that means first time and only time or whether it means you only do one thing. But sometimes my self-talk says, oh, I can't do all this stuff they're doing because, you know, I don't know systems. Oh my God, it's mechanics. And, you know, I, I need somebody and I need, but I need, I guess, to just ask God to show me how to flow with the mechanics and all that, just like he's always shown me how to do that with everything else. And so I like to make sure he gets the credit because mm -hmm. it's like a river of creativity that flows but you can't harness it. You, you, they're tributaries that go in all different directions and, and you can't uh, uh, control that. What you can do is manipulate pieces of it to make it effective for you. And so with young people nowadays, I like to just shoot from the hip and just tell them, no, this is how it is, honey. And you don't have that. For years, Glenn, I used to tell you, don't sing, baby. You and Candace, y'all don't sing. Y'all go do something else because singing ain't your thing, right? Now, that was not, I guess, helpful or whatever. I am but weak. I yes, it was. I, I, <laughs> truth, you know, if anybody's going to tell you the truth, let it be me. Listen, listen, that comes straight from my grandmother. My grandmother is 96, 97 years old. <laughs> And this joker gets that straight from her. Listen, if you're just tuning into the podcast today, we're talking to my biological mother. Her name's Pat Palmore, and she's also an author. Mom, I, listen, I, I really want to kind of quickly get to the book. And um, for the sake of those who are listening to us live on Clubhouse, Christina, if I can go ahead and have you switch out the link at the top of the room. You put a lot of this stuff in these stories, and more importantly, and I need all of y'all to hear this, for the problems that many of us have faced when it comes to changing and making adjustments. Mm -hmm. Change isn't easy. Uh, in many cases, it isn't warranted because as human beings, we like things status quo. We like being used to something. We like uh, things being um, sort of even keel in the sense that we can expect certain things. Very few people are built to embrace and to invite change. Uh, most people are not built that way. But mom, somehow in this book, uh, Choosing to Change, you were able to put down in writing, and I'm so proud of you because um, for years I heard you say, I want to write this book. I want to write this book. I'm going to write this book. And I remember when <laughs> I wrote my first book. And you were so proud of me because you were like, I, I, you know, I, wanna, I, want, I want to do that. And I've always looked at, and I, I know this comes from you. 
I see the end of things. And for whatever reason, I've been able to figure out how to leverage my relationships with other people to help me get to that end. And I've been super vocal about that. I've watched you do that. You're just generally slower at your approach than I am. I'm much more quicker on the draw in that regard. But mom, I watched you birth this book and talk about it. And, you know, last year when it finally hit the shelves, I was so absolutely proud because in this book is chock full of these kinds of stories. And I say anecdotes because people need answers. People need fixes. People need to figure out, like, how do I make that adjustment? I've got to change in this area. I don't want to change in this area, but it's clear that I'm going to have to. And, and, and now it boils down to what you will choose. Can you talk to people a little bit about the premise of the book? And uh, we're going to put away for those that are listening to the podcast. We certainly are going to have you share a little bit about where they can get it. But all of these stories that you're talking about are going to be found in so many more, so many things we don't have a chance to share today. And I just really want to kind of help people understand the premise of what Choosing to Change was all about. Uh, why is it beneficial? Why should people get it? And uh, and how will it help them? Come on, talk to us. Sure. Choosing to Change actually starts like a like a memoir. And and I'm kind of looking back, but I think what it, what b- brought it to the bridge is that I realized not that I needed to give back in that sense, but I knew that what I was doing came from the author and the creator, you know, who put those things in me. And I started as I aged and got mature, you know, and, you know, wasn't so much worried about me and what I was going to get and what I was going to do and where I was going to work and all this kind of stuff. But as I began to mellow a little bit, I saw that I needed to share. And because I am a child of God and because I read his word and because I believe what he says, I believe that one day we will all be gone who are called children of God to to be caught up to meet him in the air. But what will be left will be wanting. And he's and the thing that actually got to, you know, I was in guilt all at all. I know I was supposed to write the book and all this. But the the thing that he finally said to me sitting right in this chair in this room right now is he said, one day people are gonna need to know what I said. And all the books, the written books, will either be sequestered someplace or destroyed. And the Antichrist will be in his heyday. And people are going to need to know about me. So I need you to write a book. Write down what I've done for you. Write down what you learned from it. Write down how I came through for you. And write down how they can do the same thing if they will change their minds to agree with the architect with the creator, God, the one who made us who we are, because we are not these flesh and blood containers, suits that we wear. We are the wisdom of God. We are the best that God created. He said we were very good. And we need to come out of these, the pores of this flesh, and we need to reach to the world. I was so happy to hear what you said about the the new ministry that's going to happen. I knew it would happen in God's timing, and really, you never left it. It's always been, you know, braided in everything that you do. But that's who we are. 
whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not. And I wanted that book to be that thing. And even kind of in a way that you're not real happy to think, but I thought, I hope none of mine are going to need this book or to be able to walk in here. You know, when that rapture happens and everything is still operating the way it was and you, you walking in people's houses, somebody's got to shut that house down. Somebody's got to close out accounts. Somebody's got to do all that stuff. And when they pick up that book and see, and they're going through my library or my things, and by the way, my office looks like granddaddy's used to look books everywhere and notes everywhere. But when they're going through that, they're going to know because they've known me that I'm a real person and that if he could do that for me and change me, that he can do it for them. But there's a caveat. The caveat is I got to agree with him. I've got to change my mind to follow his overarching plan, not what I want to do. Hopefully what I want to do is because he already put that in me to do. But that is what the premise of the book is all about. Hey, you want to get your body healed? I'm not going to tell you he's going to heal you every time you say, Lord, heal me, because I don't know that much. I don't know what he knows. But I do know this. I know he has done it for me several times, and he continues to do it. You want to get your bills paid without compromising your, you know, your, your principles and all of this. Cause see, when I was in the federal government, I saw how some people got their promotions and I said, I'm not getting mine like that. I'm going to get mine because I work for it, you know, and that kind of thing. And because I don't give up. So, um, the book is one that, you know, I hope people will read. I think for an author, the worst thing in the world is that somebody buys your book, but they never read it because you put your life into that book. And so, um, and into saying it, into saying it exactly like God wants it said, you know, so that it will penetrate the hearts of people and so that it will free them up in a way that maybe they've never been freed up before. Ladies and gentlemen, Pat Palmore, my mom, she's written a book called Choosing to Change. And I'm gonna tell you something right, right now, it is a page turner, a game changer, and it'll liberate you in places that, quite frankly, you've probably been stuck for quite some time. At some point, I'm believing that there's going to be an audio version of this uh, for those of you guys um, who prefer it that way. Uh, but, Mom, it has been such a pleasure. At some point, we're going to have to pick up where we left off and get you to continue to share. Uh, but for those of you guys who are listening to the podcast, let me just encourage you. Um, Mom, I'm, I'm going to have you give the website in a second. Uh, but I need you guys to lean in and recognize where you're going. Somebody else has been there and done that. And if you'll lean into them, they'll show you how to do the exact same thing. And notice the operative is do. Because it's not good just to be a hearer of the word and not do it. Because at that particular point, it doesn't work for you. Mom, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, again, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for this part of your journey and that I get a chance to share in it from a real front row perspective. And this is just super, super, super exhilarating for me. So thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can order the book? Sure. Uh, it's easy. Um, PatriciaPalmore.com. Uh, even if you do www.PatriciaPalmore.com, it'll get you to the same place, which is my landing page. Listen, I love it. I appreciate you, and uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. 
I thank you guys and I thank all of the mods and the people who inspire me every day, the people from the room, you know, who decide to come up and share. Uh, it blesses me beyond measure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. You can download this podcast wherever you uh, get your podcasts stream, whether that's Apple Music, whether that is Spotify, you name it, it's there. And uh, here's what we know to be true. You can't get to any place of significance by yourself because we all need some help. We'll see you guys next week, same time. And uh, do me a favor, share this with somebody, download this and uh, and be a part of the solution. Y'all be good and we'll talk soon. Well, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us once again for another edition of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. Uh, be sure to download this, and if you need to connect to us any kind of way, uh, you can reach us at www.glennpbrooksjr.com. At the end of the day, y'all already know what time it is. You cannot get to any place of significance by yourself because we all need some help. Y'all be good, and we'll talk soon.